2 Corinthians 11, 16 through 21. We wrap this little section up right now that I've called it humility and boasting, but it is in its context, the theme, the Apostle Paul is given a disclaimer for what he's getting ready to step into in verse 22 through chapter 12, verse 4. All right. So it's a disclaimer, and, and you'll see that here in a minute. If you would, please follow with me in the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 21. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Father, help us to hear what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Father, let us understand how difficult this section was for him to even speak of. And yet, Father, let us see the awesomeness of this man of God in light of the the time in our society in which we live now. Father, I think about the heartache in this man, the anguish in this man. And Father, I am overwhelmed that he even has to defend himself. And yet, Father, you use these words to even convict us this day. Help us, Lord. Help us to see this text as we step into the true credentials of an apostle. Help us, Father, to understand and hear And Father, help us to avoid the trap that lingers for each and every one of us at every moment of our lives. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name, amen. We are looking at a little section here, and we've been going through this book. And and, and I shared with you, beginning in chapter 10, we're going to start dealing with spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? And I've already shown you uh, in part of it that it it, it is a battle for the mind. It is battle for the thinking. It is speculations and lofty ideas raised up against the knowledge of Christ. And so the essence of spiritual warfare is dealing with natural man's thinking processes. The Apostle Paul in verses 16 through 21, he, I call it a disclaimer. And the reason that I call it that is because he's, he doesn't want to defend himself. And if you're really honest with yourself, he really shouldn't have to. But what has happened is, is that since he's left Corinth, He's had people come in behind him who claim to be, if you look at the original language, they claim to be super apostles. Okay, and that Paul was subpar. All right, and we're not even sure Paul was legit because we are super apostles. Now, the, the thing that the key that has set this area up is that Paul did not charge the Corinthians a nickel. All right. The super apostles were being paid. All right. If you look at the culture at the time of the writing of this letter, the amount of money you made for your message related to the importance of your message. All right. You see that today. People have speaker fees. Uh, I get people who want to come and speak at the church and tell me that I got to put them in first class and hotel and this much money and this, that, and the other, and tell them, no, not really. 
Okay, but but you see that today, if if the message is that important, we call it different things. It might be a motivational speaker. It might be a team building speaker or it might be any of these other things that we come. But, you know, these guys are really good at what they do and they charge. And so if they can make a living at it, then whatever they're saying must be kind of important. Same thing as the Apostle Paul. But Paul did not charge the Corinthians. Any time while he was there, almost two years, and he didn't charge a nickel. And so the false were coming in behind him saying, well, how can his message be anything if he didn't charge you for it? And Paul's already defended that. But now he comes into this section and he wants, I I love Paul. and And I've shared this before, that I probably spend more time with Paul than I do anybody. What a what a hoot it'd be to hang around with him. He speaks on these two points in this text, 16 and 17, that boasting is foolish. It's foolish. It has no benefit. And he makes a, 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 a tremendous statement in verse 17. I am what I am saying. I am not saying as the Lord would. Okay, what he's basically saying in that text is, I have no example of Christ doing this. Okay, and if you look at the Apostle Paul, who did he want to follow? Who did he want to mimic? What was the pattern that was his passion? And he's basically saying, I don't have anything of this. Now, if you want to read some really insane things... Scholars of Scripture, which always make me nervous, okay, because there are a bunch of them, and they will use verse 17 to teach that Paul didn't claim to be inspired by God. Okay, look what it says. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would. See, he wasn't speaking of God. He wasn't speaking for God. All right? Paul is giving a disclaimer. You know what's amazing? You're going to use that one statement and discount the bulk of the New Testament. Really? Huh. They're saying that Paul disclaims that he wrote. Listen, the false apostles in Corinth were attacking Paul. And guess what they're doing to Paul today? Same thing. Which tells me one thing. He was God's man. Paul was a messenger from our Lord and Savior. And he made a statement that all scripture is inspired by God. It's a mind numbing to me because if you drop the context and if I just grab that verse 17 or that piece of 17, then I can say, see here, Paul says he's not writing. But I have a a problem because there's other Bible verses. All right? And that that's always tends to get people into an issue. Second Peter chapter three, beginning at verse fifteen. Peter concluding his letter, verse fourteen says, Therefore, beloved, since you Look for these things, the coming of Christ. Be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother, Paul. According to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. So Paul had received what? Wisdom from God. And he had written to the same people that Peter is addressing in this letter. As also in all his letters. Did you see that? As also in all of his letters, speaking in these of things in which are some things hard to understand. True. Hard to understand. Which the untaught and unstable distort. As they do the rest of scriptures. You know what Peter just said? Paul's writings are scripture. And the people who would argue with it are untaught and unstable. Fascinating, don't you think? 
finish that verse. The rest of scriptures, and they do it to their own destruction. And then in verse 17, pay close attention. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Listen, when the Bible tells you to be on your guard, you know what? You should probably be on your guard. All right? So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. All right, do you see that? Now, I dealt with the first part of this letter this morning in Sunday school. Now you look at the conclusion of the letter. What are you saying? The writings of the Apostle Paul are what? Scripture. Scripture. So when Paul says in this text in Corinthians, I can't follow the example of Christ in this. What is he saying? Christ never boasted nor defended what his ministry was. I am here to carry out my father's will. I don't have to validate to you. Paul said, who sent me? God did. Now there's a church in Corinth. Right? Where did it come from? Preaching of the Apostle Paul sent by God. You don't have a church if Paul don't show up. Do you see that? And he's saying, but never do you see Jesus trying to defend or boast. You know what God's got me doing, don't you? I'm here to atone for all of your sins. He ain't boasting about it. He came and he did it. Right? I mean, he explained it. The scripture spoke of me. There was no self-defense in the Jesus Christ. Listen, did he ever teach his disciples to defend themselves? No. No. So when Paul looks at this, he says, just speaking of this is foolishness. It is honest foolishness. And he was forced to lower his standard from the standard of his Lord. Do you understand that? The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't lower it because, well, that seems awful high. It is folly. But it was necessary. All right. Why was it necessary? Verse 18. Since many have boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. Okay. You've got to pay attention to syntax here. Okay. That's how is he writing this out? The key phrase right there in verse 18. Many. Many. Okay. Who's the many? Who's the many? Well, the many is the same many of chapter 2, verse 17. That many. That many who peddle the word of God. That many who are in it as a vocation. How much can I make off of it? That many are forcing me into this folly. Why? It is not the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, one of the things when I look at 16 through 21, I understand his reluctance to want to even talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell you what the Lord has done. I want you to walk with me. It's, it's, if you really look at true spiritual leadership, they're not out front. They're alongside. They, they're not grabbing you by the collar saying, come here, come here, come here. I had a friend of mine, he's a cattleman. And he is a cattleman. I mean, he's not a fake farmer. He, he makes a living off of cows and calves. And he says, Terry, one of the things you've got to watch out for as a pastor, as an elder. Okay, he says, you lead sheep, you drive cattle. I see a lot of pastors who are driving their congregations. That's a tragedy. Because if you lead sheep, if you've ever been around sheep, which if you have, you <laughs> aren't you lucky. You're in among them. 
you're not out front going, here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. Okay? They walk with you. Why? They trust you. They walk with you. All right? And if you watch, if you go into a flock of sheep and you ain't never been there, they don't trust you and they stay away from you. If they know you and you've taken care of them and you've fed them and you've watered them and you've helped them lamb and all the rest of it, guess what? They're like a bunch of buddies. They'll hang out with you. If you go walking over there, they all kind of middle along with you. I had a friend who worked at a sheep place in Ohio. And you, you see him out walking and there'd be this great, big, huge, fuzzy thing around him going whoa, 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 wherever he walked around in the field. And you're like, wow, that's kind of weird. And then I go walking out there and it's like parting the Red Sea. <laughs> you just, whoo, look, they're all gone. All right. That's what you and I have to pay attention to. If you think about what the Apostle Paul did, he was following who? The Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't he? And he wasn't out there saying, I'm greater than you. Follow me, you bunch of worms. I mean, Jesus could have said that, and it's still true. So when you think about it, it says these many were what? Boasting according to the flesh. You know what that is? It's human achievement. Look at what I've done for Jesus. Tell me how ripe that is in the church today. I had a church one time, Fairborn, is it Fairborn? I think it's Fairborn, Ohio. They, they wanted me to, they, they wanted me to, uh, what do you do when you audition? Do you audition for a pastorate? I don't know what you do, but anyway, they, they, they had heard one of my messages online and they said, we would like for you to, audition for uh, whatever. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm not really interested. And they said, well, you know, we, we have a big congregation. I said, um, I still am not really interested. And then they started telling me, we've got a radio show. We've got a television show. We're on twice on Saturday and Sunday. And you can come. And, and, and we've got all of this going on. And I said, dude, have you ever seen my picture? I'm not cut out for television. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they turned, what was that? All right. But, but I, they, and they were bound and determined. And I finally said, no, I ain't looking for a job. I wasn't looking for a job when I got this one. All right. So do you understand that? Why? That's that's how the church wants to hire a pastor. Really? We got a television show. We got a radio show. You know what, guys? You want to get on the radio? We can get on the radio right now. Show me the money. You <laughs> know. Because any Christian radio station won't put you on. Pay for it. They'll put you on. But I'm not really sure that that's really what we're about. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Look at what I did. And then guys, all of a sudden, God may bless their ministry. They get, all, you know, look out. We got a thousand people. I'll write a book on how to build a church. Jesus already said he would do that. And the abode of the dead couldn't stop it. Why would I compete with that? You see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, I can pack this place out. You want to have an evening service tonight? And I can make it so that standing room only, we can make them have to park up and down the street. Free beer, big screen TV, Super Bowl. Okay? Try to preach the gospel at the halftime show. Listen, that is the flesh. It's human achievement. These people were not boasting of what God had done for them. They were not boasting of what God had done in them. They were not boasting on what God had done through them. You know why I know that? Because God hadn't done anything in them. God doesn't do that with unbelievers. Verse 4 of chapter 11 says that they had a different Jesus. They had a different spirit and they had a different gospel. The many in verse 18 are those who don't know God but claim to speak for him. And yet they don't know God, therefore God is not operating in their lives. That is what fleshly boasting is. 
we have to know that it's fleshly. Why? It's foolishness to do it. And when you do it, understand why. They could only boast of their personal achievements. They could only boast of their personal privileges. They were motivated by their own personal desires. They were motivated by their father. And they were about their father's work. He would be the father of lies. And you know what? The Apostle Paul hates this. And it is probably the hardest place that he is ever in. Is have to defend who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. When you are falsely accused... By the enemies of the church, you will be ridiculed. You have things said that are not true. And I will tell you, it will happen. And it does not matter how many people you got in a congregation. I have had to fight this fight. I have had people saying things about me. And I'm sitting there going, how in the world did you come up with that? Be warned that if you take a stance on the scriptures, you will be attacked. I guarantee it. You will end up forced into some kind of self-defense and you do it based on the persevere of the preserving of truth. You don't defend yourself. You don't defend yourself. You do it to preserve truth. First Peter chapter two, verse 23. He committed no sin, verse 22. He committed no sin. There was any deceitful word found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Why? He left it to God. Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. Now, let me tell you something. When you have to defend for the preserving of truth, I can tell you it is not pleasant. It will not make you happy, and you do not feel good about it. But defending truth is not a sin, but it is a folly. It is a folly. I remember somebody asked me why I never got into apologetics, defending of the Scriptures. I've read Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon was asked the same thing by a secular reporter. Why doesn't he get into apologetics and defend Scripture? And he said, young man... You open the cage and you let the lion of the tribe of Judah out. You do not defend it. And I thought, there you go. <laughs> let the kitty go play with them. Paul says it's folly. And you know what? As you move through his defense, beginning in verse 22, you start seeing the level of his humility. But I want you to always understand something. Even when we move into this next section, understand the reluctance on Paul's heart. And he didn't want to do it. Now, we move on in verse, I will boast also, he says. I will defend myself also. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing also. Okay, now you don't want to do that. And then he goes into my favorite type of text. Sarcasm. I love sarcasm. I was reading <laughs> an author. And he says, sarcasm, quote, is the strongest force the language can bring to bear, unquote. I was like, yeah. Right on. Okay? Because when I look at sarcasm, it is a force of ridicule. Okay? I remember one time, my grandpa was sitting, he was a, he probably the best mechanic I ever seen in my life. <laughs> this kid came in, this guy and his kid came in, and we were all sitting there. He had a shop that he worked on cars. And I'll never forget this, it's stuck in my head ever since. And this, they come in and started telling, my grandfather, how smart they were. And they went on and on probably 15 or 20 minutes. And I'm just sitting there going, man, this is crazy. I mean, you're in his shop. <laughs> My grandpa looks up at him and he smoked, he rolled his own cigarettes 
And so his fingers are all yellow and everything else. And he's got teeth missing. He looks up and he smiles at him and says, aren't you something? <laughs> and I thought, well, there you go. Because <laughs> you just been slammed to the ground and you don't even know it. Sarcasm is saying the opposite of what is true. And it's a very cutting language. Look what he says in verse 19. For you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. You got to understand. He's getting right to the point here. Paul uses this a lot to the Corinthians. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, if you go look at the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's amazing why churches want to be like the first the, the Corinthian church because he first six chapters, he just blasts them. Uh, and I mean just gee many crickets. You claim to be of Paul and you claim to be of Silas, you claim, and you and you just going all this thing through and you claim to be of Christ. And all it was was a bunch of pompous Christians. Show off. In chapter uh, 3, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. He's, he's, he's blasting them on, they think they're so stinking smart. I was re- <laughs> Linsky wrote on this, and he calls them spiritual smart alecks. And I thought, you know, that's that's true. And Paul confronts them. In chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, they're suing each other. How smart are you? In chapter 8, verse 2, they know it all. You already know. You've already arrived. Chapter 3, you know of men and angels, and yet you don't have no love. You guys are brilliant. Chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, you have it all. Why? And it's all in your wisdom. Back to verse 19 of chapter or 11 of 2 Corinthians. You tolerate the foolish thing gladly. And he says, bear with me if I'm foolish. Why? Because you tolerate the fools. So you should be able to easily bear with me. You do really good in your wisdom dealing with fools. How do I know? How do I know you do this well? How do I know you're this smart? Because you listen to the false teachers. You're so wise. You're so smart. You do real well with fools. That's how wise you are. Boy, is that good or what? You know what? I've had people who want to carry on some bizarre conversations with me. I don't even listen to them. And of course, they think that I am arrogant. They think that I... I ain't got the time for you. I ain't going to listen to you. That's the silliest thing I ever heard. I had a kid the other day or a couple of weeks ago was sitting there telling me that did I understand that Neanderthal man came 350 billion years ago and he, from space and they landed here and they run around and that's how the human race started. And I said, and where'd you hear that? Well, I've got this book. This book right here says, well, I used to read comic books and they are smarter than that. Neanderthals. He said, well, you don't believe in Neanderthals? I said, no. He said, well, I've seen skulls of them. I said, me too. They look just like a gorilla. Crazy, huh? But you just sit there and you go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And you're telling me my Bible's stupid? Really? So can you tell me where the Neanderthal spaceship is? You know, you go show me that, I'm in. And they said, well, you're just hard-headed. You don't even want to talk about it. You know what? You're right. Paul's telling the Corinthians, bear with me in my foolishness because you are so wise, you do really well with fools. You are so wise, you gladly hear fools And you think that that is real wisdom. People come up to me. I remember 
I remember a kid. I had brought it up here with one of our, with our elders, and I, and and they were discussing on where did sin come from, and I said, "Well, the Bible doesn't tell me." And they said, "Well, well where did it come from?" I said, "Well, if the Bible didn't tell me, you can't make something up." And I never really paid that much attention. I was at a conference in Memphis, and this seminary student was working on his doctorate, <laughs> and he stood up and he raised his hand and. Stephen Olford was up there, was taking question and answer. And uh, Stephen Olford, a little Welsh man, about that tall, white hair. And uh, he says, Dr. Olford, sir, where did sin come from? <laughs> Dr. Olford scratches his little chin like this and goes, none of your business. <laughs> I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> he said, had God wanted us to know, he would have put it in Scripture. It's not in there, so evidently it is. None of our business. Okay? Because I had a kid one time ask me, um, well, what had, if Israel had accepted Jesus as Messiah, would the millennial kingdom started up right then? I said, no. Well, why wouldn't it? I mean, it was predicted. I said, that would have made God a liar. What? Because God said they would reject him. And if they didn't, that makes God a liar. And it made him mad. He left the church. Go figure. He says, tolerate me as a fool, will you? Because you're so smart. Verse 20. Here's how smart you are. Okay. You being wise, tolerate foolish gladly. Remember how he started in verse 16. Let no one think of me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, okay? Verse 20, you tolerate it if some, anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. You guys are brilliant. Right up there. How foolish are you really? You are so foolish that in your deception of intelligence, you have been enslaved, exploited, entrapped, dominated, humiliated, and abused. Other than that, you're brilliant. See the sarcasm? Such wisdom. That's real smart. They enslaved you. Probably a form of Judaism, but all it is is works. Okay, you must do these things. It is typical of all false teachers. They use it to control people. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Or God will be mad at you. Don't want God mad at you. They make people their slaves. I call it manipulation. They manipulate the people. Let me show you what we're doing. Let me show you how to get it done. They serve their desires and ends and their motives. See, the number one priority is them. And I've got to figure out how I can get all of you to deal with me and my motives. You have let the false enslave you. How wise are you? You had the freedom in Christ. Now look at you. Not only do you let them enslave you, but you have them devour you. It's the same phrase used in Luke 20, 47. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, where the Pharisees devoured the widows' homes. Okay, they enslave you. You know why? So they can take everything away from you. And you're so smart, you let them. You let them. Where I come from, I've watched the false suck the life out of people in congregations. And they all think they're doing the work of the Lord. They manipulate you to get you under their control so they can take from you. Listen, let me tell you something. Go look at the prosperity pre preachers. All of them. Go look at them. All right? Health, wealth, and prosperity. Pressed down, measured out, poured out. You get rich if you do these things. Really? Let me ask you a question. Who gets rich? Every single time. Who gets rich? Congregation? 
At whose expense do the prosperity preachers get rich? From the really smart people who tolerate it. They are entrapped, they are caught, and they live, uh, they live up to swallow the bait so they can be completely taken advantage of. And you know what? One of the things that's tragedy in the United States today, I watch the prosperity preachers in Russia. They are as short-lived as you ever see because there's no prosperity in Russia. And so they go over and say, you're going to be prosperous. And about half an hour later, these people say, you ain't going to be prosperous. (laughs) And there's no way we're going to be prosperous. All right. So they can't sell the message. So you know what? They're not there, which is cool, which is cool. But what I've seen in America is when they fall into that, that situation, you know what's amazing? The people in their arrogance refuse to admit to it and walk away. They don't want to think that they were taken advantage of. I'm not that stupid. Really? Let me tell you something in... 1999, as 2000 was coming, I had a number of families in this congregation who believed that they should sell everything and move to Israel and wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. And I asked them, did Jesus say the time and the date of his coming? No. But you know that it's New Year's Eve 2000? Really? Do you believe he's going to be that obvious? Really? And I watched him. I know a family right now, bless their hearts, sold everything. They sold their house to a a real estate liquidator. They sold everything that they had and put it into cash and followed this Yahoo to Jerusalem. I haven't heard from them since. Why? The world's ending. 2000. All the computers are going to shut down. I was hoping they would because that meant my mortgage would disappear completely and no one would know what I owe. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> it, it didn't work. Listen, an animal sees the baits and guess what? They look at it. It looks wonderful. And bang, they're caught. I was in uh, South America. Years and years and years ago. And they used to have a delicacy that's spider monkey. And uh, you, you, if you got out of the city, you see these little buggers everywhere. They're just ding, 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 and bouncing around all over the place. And I was like, how in the world does somebody catch one of those? Now, I wouldn't eat them because I'll just let you think about what it looks like when they bring it out whole on a plate. Okay, you just look at it and you go, I ain't eating that. Okay, I don't want no part of it. And I said, how do you catch those things? He says, they're easy. He said, we just take a stick. We drive it down on the ground with a string on it, okay? We put a glass jar on it, okay, with a small lid hole on it, right, about like that. And then we put a piece of the the aluminum paper off a piece of gum. We drop that into the bottom of it. And I said, how do you catch a monkey with that? He says, it sees that shiny thing. It reaches in there and grabs a hold of it, and it can't pull its fist back out of the jug. But it won't let go. And so you come walking up on your trap and you can smack them in the head with a stick because they won't let go of that little shiny piece of paper in that jug. I see that in churches. I see that in churches. Okay, so if you ever hear me and you're having a conversation, I'll ask you, I may make a statement. You'll hear me say it every once in a while. You mean the monkey won't let go of the shiny thing? You'll know that I'm not really touting you. Okay? Because that's what we do. When Eve looked at the fruit, what did it look like? It was pleasing to the eye. What do we do? And you know what? False come in and what do they do? It is pleasing to the eye. It is tickles my ear. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I've had a bad week and I feel wonderful. 
Now you're trapped. They also take advantage of you. And you know what? You're so wise that when they're taking advantage of you because they have trapped you, because they have enslaved you, and because they are what? Exalting themselves. They become so controlling that they abuse their authority and they will lower it over people. We are warned, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, you don't rule lording it over people. But why? You're a shepherd. You are walking with the flock. You don't drive the flock. You walk with the flock. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, I didn't come to rule like the Gentiles who lord it over you, who dominate you. And yet, I know pastors in this town right now, that's what they do. You're so smart, you, you allow these false to come in, and they have basically come in and enslaved you, devour you, take advantage of you, exalt themselves, and they'll even hit you in your face. It's slap you in the face has to do with humiliate you. You're common. You see it in first Kings chapter 22. The false preacher, the false prophet runs into the true prophet. You know what the false prophet does to the true? He hits him in the face. Why? The false when exposed to truth. What is his response every time? Anger. Anger. The contempt of the false. Why? When you mess with a false teacher, a false preacher, you're messing with his money. I grew up in coal country. We had a wildcat strike. I had a coal, coal mine out of uh, West Virginia. And uh, these hillbillies, I'm allowed to say that, the, these hillbillies went on strike. And so they decided that they were going to, the coal company would take the coal that they had piled up there and they would take scab drivers and they would drive it out until they run out of coal to see if they could get a contract between then and now. They started hauling these coal trucks up out of the hill country of West Virginia. These guys would sit up in the tree with their deer rifles and shoot holes through the engine blocks of these semis. Okay, they never got one load out. So the governor says, I'm brilliant. I know how to fix this. I'll have the National Guard escort the trucks out. The National Guard are escorting these trucks out. These hillbillies are out in the hills shooting at the National Guard. Listen, you're messing with my money. What, are you going to get the same response with a false preacher? Tell him that what he's saying is wrong. You're enslaving the people. You're devouring the people. Guess what? You better call the National Guard. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, the attributes of an elder, a ruler, can't be a striker. Can't be a striker. Uh, the King James Version is one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Pugnacious. <laughs> you can't be pugnacious. What does that mean? You don't go hitting people in the face. The false will and can physically abuse people to control the people. Okay, now people will tell me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Yeah, that's what you do. But I will tell you this, the abuse is still sin. And Paul makes the statement there, you are so wise, you tolerate all of this. You tolerate all this. Which brings me to verse 21 because he, I, I, I'm just loving this guy. He's going to be a blast to hang out with in heaven, I'm telling you. What did he say? You're so wise, you've tolerated this falsehoods. Then look what he says in 21. To my shame. Okay, to my shame. I must say. That we have been weak by comparison. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Why? Because I should have struck you in the face. I should have devoured you. I should have enslaved you. I should have taken advantage of you. But in my weakness, I didn't. See the sarcasm? Because remember, these guys are calling themselves super apostles. 
The Apostle Paul says, ah, I was just too weak to understand that. You should be ashamed of disgracing yourself for your stupidity, the Apostle Paul says. The way you gladly receive these people, look at what you have accomplished. You receive these people as super apostles, way greater than me. And look what they did to you. They enslaved you. They devour you. They take advantage of you. They exalt themselves and they even humiliate you. I should be ashamed for being such an inferior apostle. I'm so weak. I didn't do that. I'm too weak to do such a thing. I didn't even charge you for my message. So weak should have known that these super apostles do this. I should have been smart. I should have been as wise as you to know this. Because in verse 20, you see how they act. Paul was ashamed that he was so weak because he didn't do what they had done. The marks of a true. They don't do that. You can totally know them by their character. Paul was a failure. He was a fake. Think he got the message? Verse 21. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I just as bold as myself. As he sees the boldness of the false and what they've done to the people's thinking. And he says, but my disclaimer is as bold as their folly, as their foolishness. You thought you were so smart. And then when I pointed out to you, how smart are you? You know what's amazing? This letter's being read to the congregation. And the false are sitting there. <laughs> I think I've been hilarious. <laughs> Talk about murmurings in the church. <laughs> See, they were confident the false were. That they had turned the church away from the Apostle Paul. Paul would be hoping once and for all that they would see truth. That they would see the true messenger that the Apostle Paul was. And beginning in verse 22 on through chapter 12 verse 4. Paul shows the credentials of a true apostle. And he does it in humility. Now listen, key to this understanding this as we start moving into this is how much Paul hated pride. Paul despises pride. I mean, I don't know of anything that bothered him more. And the fact that he was having to defend himself just really was chapping his hide. How much he hated that pride to even boast about the truth of what God had done in him. He considered that pride. He didn't even want to say what was true of himself. He's not lying. He's not. People tend. Have you ever watched somebody fill out a job application? <laughs> You're not going to hear one like the Apostle Paul. I was in danger in the country. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten with rods. I was stoned and left for dead. You know, those are my credentials. He wanted no honor, nor anything to bring honor to himself. It was all for his Lord. You know what? It's almost as if the Apostle Paul was fearful to say what God had done. Why? Touch not the glory. What a teaching. What an example. Never has on the planet earth do I know of, has one been more humble than the Apostle Paul? And yet forced to boast, to defend, and yet he can still do it in humility. The humble? Remember what I said? The humble biblically? They're heard by God when they pray. If your prayers aren't getting answered, hmm. They are delivered by God. They enjoy the very presence of God. They are prospered through God. They are under God's personal care. They are the greatest in the kingdom. And they understand the fullness of God's grace. The humble will be like Christ. Got it? 
Next week, we'll see the true credentials of a humble messenger sent by Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. And Father, I thank you that you did a mighty work in Corinth in spite of their uh, foolishness. Father, may none of us fall into thinking that we are wise. Father, thinking that we've arrived, thinking that we know. Father, may we see in the Apostle Paul that humility that overwhelmed him. Father, may we bow before your throne with an eager expectation of the amazing things that you will do in each and every one of us. And may we long to be poured out as a drink offering. And Father, may we rejoice the amazing things that you can use your people for. Father, I thank you for this congregation. Father, the things that we've done over the 20-some years that we've been together. And that, Father, uh, you're not done. Father, may we uh, understand the privilege, but also, Father, understand the urgency of the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul. And, Father, may there be an eager expectation to break bread with him in the presence of our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name, amen.